Welcome to the Mindful Runner Podcast, a show about running and racing, trail and ultra in South Africa. Along the way, we'll be talking training, gear, nutrition, and mindfulness, all in the context of the South African racing scene. I'm your host, Fred Richardson, founder and head coach at Mindful Runner. Stay tuned as I do my best to give you all the information and none of the waffle. In this episode, I want to talk about the role that our brains play when it comes to training and racing. I'll share with you some examples of just how important the brain is in impacting our performance. And we'll look at a number of different techniques that we can use to improve our own training and ultimately to improve our racing and our race experience. Our brains operate in two basic modes. Type 1 mode is reactive and it is the baked in stuff. It is an instinctive response or it's a learned response over time. Type 1 thinking is our default thinking. It's also where we store the skills that we've learned, the stuff that we spoke about in deliberate practice. This is where those skills are stored once we have become an expert in something. Type 1 thinking doesn't require a lot of high-level brain power, so it's a low-demand, low-processing power type of thinking. Type 2 thinking, on the other hand, is a very high cognitive function. So it's deliberate, it is conscious thinking. It's often before you've acquired a skill when you still have to think very hard about what to do next and what the next step is. And it requires a lot of brain processing power. There is a very simple experiment in which two groups of people, group A sits and watches a nature channel on television and group B writes a very testing psychometric test. They then take both those groups, A and B, and they put them on treadmills, and group A is able to run for a longer time than group B. Think of your stress capacity as a bucket. Every little bit of stress goes into that bucket, and every little bit will increase your heart rate, it will increase the cortisol levels in your blood, will increase your adrenaline, and that stress might be a lack of sleep, emotional stress from your partner, work stress, not only the stress of the event that you're busy with. And what this experiment proves is that type 2 thinking, that deliberate conscious thinking, also places a huge amount of stress onto the person involved. So much so that it influences their perception of effort. And if you remember, our very first episode in this podcast was about perception of effort. If you don't know about that, have a listen and then come back to this. So, if a stressful test can have a negative impact on my perception of effort and therefore influence how fast or how long I can run for, it then begs the question, how can I influence that perception of effort in a positive way? One such technique is positive self-talk, in which you have an internal dialogue with yourself. It's either spoken out loud or it's silent, but you're using words to reframe a situation in a positive light. When we're under stress, we fall back on type 1 thinking. That reactive thinking process, the baked-in defaults that we have, and very often those defaults are negative. We've had years of people telling us we're not good enough, we're not fast enough, we can't do this, we can't do that. So you approach an obstacle like a big hill, and immediately your thought is, oh no, I can't do this, it's too hard, I'm going to have to walk up here, there's no way I could possibly run this. But you can learn to reframe that situation. So when you hit that hill, instead of thinking, there's no way I can possibly run this, run the phrase through your mind, I can do this. Other phrases that might work are, I'm strong, I'm powerful, 
I'm a diesel engine. I can just chug my way up this hill. In the research, it's been found that it's more powerful to speak to yourself in the third person. So rather than say, I am strong, use the words, you are strong, you are powerful, you are a diesel engine. The power of positive self-talk has been proven repeatedly in the labs, so there's no doubt that it does work. And the full power of positive self-talk extends into a much broader context, in the sense that you need to be practicing self-talk all day, every day, in everything you do. When you catch a negative thought, you need to reframe that negative thought in a positive way. And that brings us back to another podcast in which we spoke about mindfulness. The practice of mindfulness will allow us to observe our thoughts to see the negative thoughts coming up and to reframe those thoughts into positive ones. This really is about changing your frame of mind. Start practicing self-talk on yourself on a daily basis. When you wake in the morning, the first thing you think is, this is going to be the best day ever. Take 10 deep breaths, breathe in the good, breathe out the bad. It's going to be a wonderful day. And in the beginning, it might not be a wonderful day. But your brain is plastic and it will learn these new habits and the new habit in time becomes a positive one. It becomes a strategy of rephrasing every situation into a positive way using words. In order for positive self-talk to work properly, you need to understand that there is a cognitive dissonance that can happen if your positive self-talk is delusional self-talk. This is when you're obviously lying to yourself and your brain is aware that you're lying to yourself. And the resultant dissonance is actually worse than a negative self-talk. The extension of self-talk is group talk, which has the same impact at a group level. I'm sure if you've experienced this at some point, you're in a group and you're about to do something that's quite difficult and somebody in that group expresses that feeling of, oh no, this is so hard, I don't want to do this. And that has a negative impact on the entire group psyche. Don't be that person. Be the positive person. Be the person that says, this is difficult, but we can do this. Another useful skill is a mantra, a personal phrase that'll help you in a situation that's difficult. Something like, this is where the magic happens. When you're in the last five kilometers of a hundred miler, or you're about to go up a big hill, winners run the hills. Come up with two or three phrases that work for you and use them whenever times are a little bit tough. Mastering your skills to the point that a skill becomes type one thought, it is now below the level of conscious thought, is also going to make the perceived effort much easier when you are executing that skill. And that takes us back to deliberate practice and practicing and practicing until our skills become type one thinking. They are no longer conscious thought, which will place less stress on us. With less stress, our RPE is lower. And so our performance is better. Visualization is another very useful skill. It can be as simple as just picturing yourself crossing the finish line. But what you want is you want as much detail as possible. Make the image rich. Colors, smells, sounds, feelings, and repeat that image to yourself, often in the run-up to your event. A fun one I learned from a fellow ultra runner was to picture what I would be wearing when I stepped up to receive my medal. In both those instances, you're seeing the task as complete. You have finished successfully and you're receiving a medal or you're crossing a finish line. A big cause of stress, and as we've discussed in this podcast, stress is going to increase your RPE, is uncertainty. So take out as much uncertainty from your event as you possibly can. And that starts with you being confident 
in your physical preparation for the event. And that's not simply a case of being physically fit. It also means confident in your nutrition, confident in your pacing strategy, confident in the equipment that you'll be using and familiar with it. Never arrive at an event at the very last minute. Try to get there with enough time for you to at least see the surroundings and get a feel for where you are. If at all possible, spend time training and running on the course, even if it's only once and sometimes the best you can do is to run the first two or three kilometers of an event the day before. And our last strategy for dealing with uncertainty specifically is to have these mini programs in your brain to deal with various situations that you think might arise. For instance, a not unusual situation during an ultra event would be a glycogen bomb. How would I deal with that? And my plan is to reach into my pocket, take a gel out, swallow the gel, and keep moving. That simple little plan has now taken a source of stress for me personally and moved it into a solution. I don't have to worry about it anymore. And so there's a little bit less in my stress bucket, and when I start my event, my RPE is automatically that little bit lower. I'm sure you can think of many scenarios that would stress you out. So think them through, think of what the solution would be, and then you can put them in the solved box rather than the stress box. All of these techniques have been scientifically proven to work. All of these techniques have been scientifically proven to work. But they work so much better if you're adept at doing them. And becoming adept is easier to achieve if you're practicing these techniques every day in your everyday life. Don't wait for training or for racing to start working with the techniques. Refine them, make them a part of your normal everyday lifestyle. As always, thank you for listening. If you want to know more about Mindful Runner, check us out at mindfulrunner.co.za. On Instagram, you can find us at mindfulrunner. In the meantime, enjoy your running, happy trails, and don't forget to subscribe.